Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, the weekly podcast, at least at the moment, where we look at a different facet of youth ministry each week. And uh, with me, as always, Rachel Gardner. Hello, Martin. I'm Martin Saunders. Hello, Martin Saunders. You forgot that. After all these episodes. (laughs) Do you you ever like forget names of people that you're like, that is the one person I can't ask them again what their name is. Well, this is the episode, this is the season of the Youthscape podcast where we've really started to show our age. We have. Because I think almost every week we talk about the fact that we're old i think we do and we need to stop doing that don't the we? way that that boring. is manifesting itself for me is in forgetfulness hey we've not talked about that as a bit of an issue but it is an issue if you actually forget a young person's name i find the young people whose names i forget are the ones who you just know it will mean the most devastating thing to them yeah. you forget it it's ter- what is that what's that in the human psyche in youth group don't you just guess at josh <laughs> I don't know. No? Oh, yeah. What, what, yeah, what's the equivalent for a girl? I, I don't know. know. Oh, I don't know. I just make, I make noises and I'm, I mouth to someone else. <laughs> you make noises? Hello. Hello. Hopefully the music is so loud. What? I just imagine being like... Oh. <laughs> You sound like a yeah. like a space cat. From Again, in context, Star it makes Wars. sense. It feels communal and pastoral. In the podcast world, it sounds horrendous. But no, I, I, I forget names all the time. It's not good. Not good. Rachel, to move us on. Yes, I've please. got a new uh, obsession. Oh, obsession. Right. Okay. And I'm going to say these words to you and they're either going to mean everything to you. Is it sci-fi? Or nope. Well, it sounds like sci-fi. I mean everything to you or nothing to you. And the words are Wim Hof. Oh no, I feel like I should mean something to me. Am I about to be like held out in the cold for not knowing something about youth culture? Interesting you should ask that. <laughs> it's like the Lord was speaking. What? Uh, so Wim Hof is the Iceman. He's the guy who basically discovered the health benefits of getting yourself into I freezing cold temperatures. I know who you mean. He's got a lovely beard. Yes, He's a Dutch very attractive guy. Dutch guy. Yeah, yes. he goes into like, puts yeah. holes in ice. He does. I know who Wim Hof is. Thank you very much. Well. I now remembered. Well. Have you met him? No, I haven't. My wife and daughter got very into the TV program that he made with um, some celebrities. They basically did all these ice challenges and things. But then I, then, then someone got me his book. And I finally, on holiday recently, I read his book. Did you? And it's all about sort of the, as I say, the benefits of cold, right? And I am a massive wimp, yeah. especially when it comes to don't temperature. Like being cold, do you? I don't like being cold. You, every photo with you in it is you in a little puffer jacket. Your little head is just like hiding, isn't it? Every, every, photo of, every photo of me is me wearing a black jumper. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, I, I thought I'd try it. I thought I'd try getting into the cold. Now, obviously, you don't start by just like falling asleep in the snow okay. uh, or anything like that or throwing yourself into an icy lake. You start with cold showers. Ooh, and so I've been having cold no. showers. Yeah. Every day. Ooh. And it's, I tell you what, it's really interesting. Oh, no, don't get evangelistic about it. I know, I'm not getting evangelistic about it. I've, but I've done it for long enough that I can talk about what the experience okay. is. So I'm not getting... I, I think it is interesting that it wakes you up so much. Yes. I'm going to do it a bit longer. 
like it's almost like a self-efficacy experiment that I'm okay. doing on myself. But I I am interested in what happens when you take a cold shower because you your brain does wake up in a different way. And that's what he's saying is it basically gets your your brain and the blood and the rest of your body circulating in a completely different way. So so I've been so I have a cold shower every morning now. That is incredible. And, and you started off I was doing like 15 seconds and like now it's like two and a half minutes. So do how do you do a cold shower? Do you sorry to go like really granular? No, that's fine. You switch on. You have a warm gear. shower first. Oh, you have a warm shower first. And a warm shower first. So you, and that's when you use your soap. Oh, and I stuff. see. And then you slowly turn it down and like then, a little oh, frog. Oh no, opposite. you don't turn. No, no, no. You have to. You have to shock yourself. So you have to go. You have to go right round. Okay. And then if you can bear it, once you've got really cold, you can actually go like. To, have you got? Does yours go into like ice mode? Yeah. Yeah. So mine goes mine really goes, icy. It goes cold. Okay. And so I can even go to that. And you get the kids coming with stones and throw stones at you. Why, like, why, why would I, they I do just, that? I don't know. I just want to know how far you would take this. Why do you like, get kids to come <laughs> and throw stones at me? I'm in the shower. Kids, oh, not right. someone else's kids. Now you've been quite vocal so far, but I feel like the vocality of Martin Saunders is going to go up a notch. People we might hear a higher octane. Because I'm about to introduce a topic that you are well known for feeling very strongly about. Go on. I'm looking you in the eyes. And it's not children's ministry becoming youth ministry or whatever that version oh, yeah. of that that you actually oh, I hate. know where this is going. It's about youth workers, beloved, beloved youth workers. Our people. Our people, our tribe, our misunderstood tribe. Becoming <clears throat> ordained church leaders i mean martin that just right just press what buttons does that press for you he's he's he's, he's like the hulk now i have i've gone <laughs> well look i what know is it? where's that come from oh, what is it talk I to us know. talk to me no one's listening i need to grow up i mean i think i'm going to tell you a story in a minute about tell how i dealt story. with this instant emotional reaction very badly was it in um, a northern nation college <laughs> yeah it was <laughs> But um, but I so so I've dealt with this immaturely in the past. But I think I'm just disappointed, you know. No, I'm not. That's it's awful. It's heavy emotion. Not in a sense of like I'm disappointed with individuals <laughs> just, because okay. people have to make the decisions yeah, that they okay. have to. And I, you know, I had a great conversation with a, a vicar called Dan Crouch. I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning him by name. Who's a youth worker, mm. brilliant youth worker, and I was gutted that um, that he was leaving youth ministry. But I also heard him, he looked me in the eye and he said, I just feel God has very clearly called me to this. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually you shouldn't argue with that. Yeah. And yeah. I have not always heeded that advice. So tell us about a time when you didn't with well, a lot of clergy. So I was invited <laughs> um, with my colleague, Chris Curtis, to um, St. Melitus College um, to give a talk about um, youth ministry. And it was great they did it. So they got us speaking to ordinance because they were recognizing that. And this is true across, I think, certainly all training colleges at the time. Hopefully things have changed since then. It was about six or seven years ago. There was very little input at all in a three-year, you know, degree, theological degree, um, about youth and children's work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there was something like seven or eight hours total in the average degree, which is it's like a day. It's crazy. And I hope it's changed. Um, but they asked Chris and I to do a whole morning with these uh, these ordinands. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I just sort of, I went for it. I kind of challenged the fact that maybe, I think as I think about it now, I, I don't come out of this story, as is so often the case, I don't come out of this story well, but I, I just said, like, guys, you know, you may feel you're called by God to to, to these things. And you've but been through the whole process. Yeah, been through back, been all that stuff. Been your family you know, towards yeah, the nation. But, but ultimately, <laughs> I, also, but I also think that 
the call, the, the draw of having your own home and some job security and, you know, being able to be taken seriously and leading adults, you know, might also be a factor. As it turned out, that didn't go down very well. The, the back row, interestingly, um, kind of didn't come back for the second half. So they just they just walked out. There were um, there were some letters and I mm. got a formal letter from the dean of St. Melitus as well. So, I mean, this story is not a happy story. No. I think as I reflect on it, you know, I've, it was misplaced passion mm. for my calling and my tribe yeah. and a desire to somehow cling on to a little bit like when you, you remember when you get dumped as a, as a mm. teenager or, or whatever. And you or just you do the dumping. And you, well, no, no. You, when you, <laughs> well, sorry, Rachel, clearly in your case, but in my Thank case, <laughs> I got dumped a lot. And when you get dumped, you try and bargain, don't you? You try and reason, you try and hold on to the, even though it was wrong for the relationship to continue. And that was what was going on there. So it's not a funny story because actually mm. I feel like a bit of a prat now. Uh, and I and I think I was very well. We mature, love you for sharing it. We love you for sharing. It, it did happen. And I think um, anyone that knows you or spends any amount of time with you will know. I mean, that's the sadness of that is that these probably people probably didn't know you at all. No, they might be listening to this. It might be redemption. <laughs> yeah. If they knew you, they'd know where that was coming from. But I guess in the midst of all the swirling waters of, you know, mis misplaced passion at the wrong time, there is something important to talk about. Yeah. Because there is a sense in which there will be many leaders who feel maybe actually the only way to have seniority or to pursue... God's call on them and, and longevity is possibly in church leadership. And it's not taken lightly, but it, but there are there must be many clergy who feel that confliction of, actually, I'm called to youth ministry, but also I believe the wider church is the tool to disciple young people. Yeah. So it will feel like the same part, an extension of the same calling. I'm in danger of falling into the same trap now. <laughs> but, I I, no. but I do think there's a, I think as much as there is a pull of calling, um, there's also a push sometimes mm. that you just have, if you're going to uh, be able to afford to have your own home or to, you've got a family or whatever it is, sometimes youth ministry itself gives you quite a heavy push to yeah. go and find something else. Yeah, in denominations as well. But I mean, do you feel the same when you hear that someone's left? Because I have to say that I, I feel it a little bit when I hear, you know, head of geography has felt the calling to go and become the local youth worker. And I'm like, no, oh. you had a thousand young people every oh. day. Like I, feel, I sometimes feel that because I I'm, I'm a youth worker. I'm passionate about youth work. But I also think we undervalue mm. people who are with young people all the time, which is they're mm. not a youth worker. They're the head of RE or they're, they're a pastoral leader or they're a SENCO or they're a TA. And I'm like, you're with five, a thousand young people every day. Like the average youth worker is lucky if they're with... 20 young people for a week. And I know it's different. This so, is new. So in Gardner's hierarchy of youth ministry, well, geography teacher well, no, sits above well, youth Well, no, no, it doesn't sit above, but I sometimes feel, really, has God called you out of oh, it's tricky that question, incredible that. context yeah. to make a real difference into a church where you're going to meet a fraction of the young? Now, of course, there's all lots of flaws in my reasoning, but I think it's because my background of youth ministry has always been outside of church. Mm. It's always been parachurch, it's been high school. I mean, a high school youth worker. I was that for many, many years. So although I am a church-based youth worker now, really my default is where are they outside of church? Let's be there. So it's funny, isn't it? This passion for the same thing can yeah. lead us to slightly kooky conclusions. So would you feel upset if a youth worker left and went to get a job working for local authority or a hairdresser or a taxi firm do you feel that same kind of like 
Oh, I mean, I I think where we are right now in youth ministry, I feel disappointed when anybody yeah. steps out, and, yeah. I, and I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, the people have got good reasons. Yes. As as yeah. I said before, I'm not disappointed with them, the person, no, but I'm disappointed at the outcome. And we and I are fortunate that we are employed to be able yeah. to do this, so oh. we're not, you know, being asked to make that call. But um, yeah, so that's in, it's interesting, isn't it? And we interrogate these. So um, I brought this question to a lovely friend who you know, oh, yes. and he talks about you. <laughs> Did I do this to him as well? Well, he did, but he's robust and it's funny what he says. Oh, great. But, but, it's, but he, I asked him really his own reflection because I know for him it wasn't easy to say, I feel God's calling me to church leadership. Um, but he tells a bit of his story mm. and, and the ongoing conflicting thing this raises in him mm. and a little bit of what he would love to see across churches to change. This is what happened when I sat down with my lovely friend, and your friend, Martin, you can redeem that one. The wonderful Reverend Alan Gold. kind of a narrative within youth ministry that the worst thing possible that a full-time called equipped empowered youth worker could ever put do is evolves church leadership and that's exactly what you've done how on earth alan can you hold your head up hard? <laughs> um i i remember feeling that tension throughout my youth work career of kind of this in one sense feeling called to church leadership but always that that tension of that like knowing that youth workers leave and youth workers become vicars Mixed with knowing that young people need consistency and they want, they want people who are around to be around long enough to build trust and to make a difference. And it's in the, you know, the later years generally of your ministry with a group of young people that you start to see some real fruit. And so I wanted to stay around. Mixed with, again, my youth work experience has been two-year contracts, three-year contracts, never longer than four years in one kind of role or place either. So I, I, I remember feeling very much that that tension of wanting to stay a youth worker, but also feeling cold elsewhere. So tell us a bit about your own journey of youth ministry then. Where have you served? So it started in Northern Ireland. Um, in after, so I did a, a business degree as my first degree and very quickly realised I didn't want to be involved in, I was, I was meant to be like middle management. You could go and get a graduate position in Grant Thornton or PwC and then become a CEO and rule the world. Um, and I very quickly was like, I don't want to do that. Um, and so in my final year, when everyone was applying for grad jobs, I didn't apply for a single one. I remember we had a group of young people that I had um, known since I was 16, and they'd been like 11. Um, and they were now like 16, 17, and I'm 21. And I had conversations with friends where I'd be like, these guys have come to our summer program and they occasionally pop into youth club, but they never, they never make up to Jesus. They've never come any further than that. Well, it's going to be a big, too big a gap to expect these guys to come to church. Someone should do something about that. Someone should create some programs that have as little stepping stones between the big crazy summer event and the youth fellowship Bible study on a Sunday night. And eventually one of my friends went, it sounds like a job for you. Um, and I, I didn't, as I said, I didn't apply for a job. I didn't have anything going on. So I was like, oh, maybe. So I approached my church and was like, how would you feel if I came and worked for you for free um, so that I could do some youth ministry and I'll get myself a little job on the side and I'll tell you that for the next year, I'll work 
25 hours a week for nothing. And obviously they bit my arm off. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I did that and that was my first kind of step in. And very, contrast to university, very quickly that was, this is what I want to do. This is my sense of calling here. I find something that, yeah, I, would, that I was perfectly happy with that arrangement um, with. Um, at the end of that, actually, the church came in with some money and they offered me a two-year job um, to keep doing what I was doing, but full-time, which was a massive answer. I prayed the whole year that this would happen. Um, but I was two years in that job and then the money ran out. Um, and so I left that position. Um, did a year with Good for Christ in Northern Ireland as a traveling itinerant speaker preacher, going to youth weekends and churches, camps and, and things, which was really great. Uh, but I, I missed being with a group of young people. I got a bit, it was fun, but actually just dropping in and then leaving again and never seeing the fruit became a bit tiresome. And actually I also struggled with, I didn't really have a solid, my own solid church community because most Sundays I was somewhere preaching or speaking. And so I was like, well, where, where's my community, where's my family? Um, I did another year of a, a few churches that I met with, Youth for Christ, came and said, we can't afford a full-time youth worker, but we could do eight hours a week, or we want to get something started, or can you come? And so I did another year of like three or four completely independent from each other churches that I did eight hours here, and 16 hours there, and four hours there, and 12 hours with somebody else to try and help them get some things up and running, which was very stressful, um, and probably not the best model for getting some things started. Um, and towards the end of that year, I was knackered and was looking for, I think I need one church and one group of young people. Um, and so then I moved to London, which is, there's some story there, but we'll go with that. I moved to London. Um, uh, I worked for an Assemblies of God church. So my background is Northern Irish Presbyterian, mingled with the kind of vineyardy kind of movement, jumped to the Pentecostals with the AOG and did four years in Tar Hamlets in East London, uh, working for a church there. Um, and then felt increasing with this call to church leadership or ordination or what that might that look like. Um, I then felt really directed towards the Anglican Church, and so took a job with an Anglican Church in you North are West London. One messed up bunny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Answering the questions on ordination about how do you feel called to the church? I mean, what's your churchmanship? It's always a. A funny right. full circle story. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. So then I was three years kind of prior to going for training for ordination. Uh, again, youth work, youth and student work at a church in North West London. Mm. And now in Blackburn as our curate. So cur the critics would say you obviously are very core cool to youth ministry. This is your DNA, and sh surely there should be a route within any denomination that means you can explore senior, really senior leadership without having to step out of being a youth minister. How, I mean, your journey looks like you'd be a classic case for that, but you also felt called to church leadership. So there's tension there. What, how would you respond to that? If someone said, Alan, you could remain as a youth pastor and be very senior, what would be your response to that? I would definitely have explored that at probably lots of different points. Uh, in, and probably in all of those churches that I've mentioned, if that had been available, I would have very seriously been looking to explore that, I think. Um, I, I would also say that I felt that call towards, I mean, ordination is weird, different in those different denominations and what that looks like, but a call to that, that role and level, not a 
Church of England priestly vocation, but are called to that or some sort of ordained in whatever the denominations have it to be. From very early on, almost as early as that first call into youth ministry or before that, you know, I wanted to be involved in my church. I wanted to lead. I saw myself as a potential preacher, which in the Presbyterian is, is it. Like, you're, if you're a preacher, you're the church leader. That's, so those things are very intertwined. Um, and so those, those callings have always run intertwined with each other and, and parallel courses and at various points. So when, before I got the job in, um, in London, I had explored with the Presbyterians whether ordination was the right thing then, and we'd, we'd all decided no. Um, and I was actually on the verge of suggesting that I planted my own church in, in Belfast with some of my friends and was very seriously sort of piloting a vision for a church plant way back then when this call to this job in, in East London popped up. And so it's, it's never been particularly linear um, as a journey and, and there is something about that call that has remained which won't be the same for everyone who might feel definitely youth ministry is their thing um, the whole way through. Um, but I definitely would have explored, if there was an option, as you say, that those things merge together in a, in a much cleaner way than they ever do now, I definitely would have explored that because I think the, the perennial tension in my youth ministry experience is that you hit that leadership wall where there is no route forward and you want to do a bit more and you want to drive the culture in a way that, that pushes the whole church more towards youth ministry rather than it just being your youth, youth ministers little thing to do over here and I consistently hit a wall with that that kept me saying I want to be in that room and having that conversation and guiding that stuff over there so that it impacts on the young people that I'm working with here. I guess the Church of England isn't unique in this but we are seeing a number of leaders, I mean lots of people, we're listening to this who still consider themselves part of the youth ministry community have had a similar journey to you and, and the route to ordination has been it. What, what, what do you see as the strengths for the UK church of the, the pioneering innovative leaders coming probably mostly from the youth ministry pool? What, what, what are your hopes for that? And then we'll, and then we'll talk about the challenges and, and the fears and why that doesn't happen. I mean, my, I would still say that I'm still a youth worker. In one sense or another, that is still part of my vocational identity. And that's not just a nod to the Martin Saunders of this world. Oh, no, no. Martin, when I took, Martin and I were plotting something uh, right before I left for ordination training, and then I uh, told him that I was going to get ordained, and Martin didn't speak to me for <laughs> several months. Do you want to say Hi, Martin. How are you? <laughs> um, yeah, um, we can revisit that, though. I still think it's a great idea. Um, uh, you mentioned it, whatever it was. <laughs> For me, my, my hope is that that, that that call into youth ministry will remain part of my ordained in the Church of England priestly church leadership ministry, that I, I will still put young people, move them towards the centre of church thinking and the church community and involve them in, in conversations. I would love it if my youth ministry colleagues, who have also been on, to, on a similar journey to me, are kind of doing the same thing. Of, we know this is important. We know that... There's a, there's a certain way sometimes of working with particularly young people that is helpful and we want to move the whole church's thinking to kind of to move that to be more of a central piece of the puzzle so I've said for as the whole time that I've been doing the ordination thing um, that I still want to be volunteering at the youth group and when I am if I am ever leading my own church 
I want to do a Sunday, a month, a Sunday, a very half, like half term where I take the youth group, wherever that, that is that it happens. Um, because, I, yeah, I want those things to be more connected than my experience was when I was a youth worker. And that's not a slight on all my vicar. So you know. here's a slightly controversial question, and don't worry, no one listens to the podcast, so you can say whatever you want. But <laughs> it is um, the tension that we face sort of nationally with just how how dire youth ministry, I mean, how great youth ministry is where it's happening often, but how few churches are investing in youth ministry and how serious the situation is. Do you think, and I'm a youth worker, do you think youth work enough is what's going to change the church? Do you think actually part of, I'd like to hear from you whether actually initially and strategic, actually getting more youth ministers into senior roles, even if they have to be called the church leader, is actually, that's what's going to make a change. Youth work enough because it's often kept to the fringes of a church, won't be enough to really see a shift. What, what, you know, what do you see? How do you answer that controversy? I'd agree with youth work, youth work on its own, siloed off to the side of a church, is never going to be enough because at some stage, people are going to leave youth ministry. And there's huge, big tra- transition work in youth ministry, in children's ministry, is huge. We know that you, you, when you transition from primary school to secondary school, there is a huge drop-off when you transition from end of secondary school to college or when you transition to university, there is a huge drop off. There is another one at the end of student ministry into sort of proper growing up adult ministry where churches that do student ministry. All of those places are points of huge drop off, but ultimately what we want is adult disciples. We want adults who are following Jesus when they're 75. And we, we had the privilege the, uh, the other week of watching some of our congregation who is on the elderly side, wanting to get baptized after seeing her faith explode in the last couple of years, despite being in church for most of her life. And that was such a privilege for me to be to watch that and be a part of a little bit of that journey. Um, but what we want is people like that, people who are in their elderly and say, I'm still on, I'm, I'm on fire for Jesus more than I ever was. Um, and so I don't, I don't think youth ministry is ever enough or is gonna be enough. I, I don't think we've encountered this phase of a whole bunch of former youth ministers becoming ordained because youth ministry is a reasonably new job in the plethora of jobs. And so we're kind of a phase, phase one or two of, okay, these guys are now becoming ordained. Um, and there's lots of practical questions around that, like the salaries of, from youth, in youth ministry isn't enough, the expectation around ours isn't enough. There's, there's a lot of things that stop people from wanting to stay in that job and wanting to make a shift because you can't work every evening and every weekend when you start to have your own family and, and all of those things that go on. Like it's a, it's still pitched as a young, young single person's game in many respects. So there's practical questions to answer about can we, can we lighten that load over there? But having church leaders who feel a vocational pull towards young people can, can for me only be a positive thing because they're the, ultimately the ones making top decisions, the top of the decisional making tree in a church community and, and the places where I've encountered real tension is when the, youth, the, the senior leader hasn't been on board with the vision for youth ministry or wants them to stay over there or wants a particular kind of young people to stay over there for whatever reason. Um, so thinking about somebody listening to this and maybe their journey has been a volunteer youth worker, maybe they've been trained, I mean that's a whole other conversation isn't it? Is, 
I'm seeing increasingly that people are going through, you know, ordin- um, degrees in youth ministry and coming out of it thinking, I don't want to work for the church. <laughs> so it's interesting. And those coming into youth ministry often haven't come through the route of training. So there's a whole other conversation there to talk about. But for, for someone listening who thinks, I want to, you know, age out in youth ministry and I don't mind if it's as a volunteer and I have another job or it's a paid worker, you know, what what would you love to see being kind of a, a career path for those people who maybe don't feel called to, or you're know, carrying the leadership of a whole congregation, but they really want to be taken seriously as fairly senior leaders. What would you love to see in churches of any denominations to really embrace that wisdom in our leaders? What would, what could, what could make a difference? So I mean, every church that I've been a part of has some sort of leadership structure or team. You know, a senior leadership team, a PCC, a board of elders, whatever, whatever that those things are. I mean, all of those churches I'm part of, they they make they really drive a lot of the decisions, and they've got to be on board with the decisions. Um, at best, in the churches that I worked in, you've had one person in that group who's the youth champion. And if you're if you've got twelve people around a table and you've got one person trying to champion children or young people, then that. It helps, but it's also a real struggle for them to keep being the ones to, to push this thing to the centre. Um, but I wonder if there is a space for saying, actually, let's get a few more people round that table. Let's make a real effort to put more people who have a heart for children and young people right into the right into the centre. I, I have a little diagram that I, I use sometimes um, that I saw from somewhere and I can't remember where, but it's talking about essentially all the decisions that we make as church are kind of centered on, on one group of people or make it easier for one group of people to engage. And this, this will work on diversity levels and along race or sexuality, all of those other questions. There is someone who is generally centered by the church community. And then you can kind of draw distances out to, it's really easy for these people to engage, but it's harder for these people, these people, and some people who we have in our congregation who every week are working really hard to bring themselves into the center. And so I, I wonder if actually part of the goal for the church is to uncenter people a bit more like me who have grown up in church their whole life, have experienced lots of privilege in all the ways that you want to think about privilege. I, I probably fit into that category. How do we decenter me and, and move, move that center over to focus on some other people? And, and I'm me saying I'm prepared to work a little bit harder. Church is going to be a little bit less for me and I have to work harder to engage with the style or the way that things are done because actually it makes it slight a little bit easier for all these other people who are all, who have been working exceptionally hard for 10 years, 20 years, however long. That's a powerful image. Um, I'm just feeling that's an incredible exercise in and of itself, isn't it? I mean, we should do it. It's like, <laughs> who, where would we put some people on that grid? Because we have a perception maybe that we're doing a good job in one area, but, yeah. but are we? How do we centre them? Yeah, and I guess the challenge is, is if we centre young people, um, or any group who potentially quite marginalised, then actually what you're doing is you're flipping everything. You will automatically be flipped, won't you? So it won't, doesn't just become about the young person or the refugee. It becomes about all of those who are voiceless and nameless normally who suddenly rush to the centre. Yeah. It's a lovely challenge. It's a really lovely challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like changing the default mode because we all, we all have a default. And churches, every church that I've been in, has a default. Like, this is what our service is and this is what it looks like. And it... In a lot of those places, assumes that that is just a normative, objective way of doing things. Inevitable, yeah. And, it, and actually, it consciously or, or unconsciously does centre 
kind of someone or one group of people slightly more than the other. Um, and so it's shifted, it gets being more, more self-aware, more aware as churches of things and more interrogating ourselves of, well, why do we do it like this? And what is the benefit of that? Why do we do a 20 minute breach with one person speaking? And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but let's interrogate how and why we do that. And we can run that with the worship songs that we pick, how long worship runs for, the kind of full-on style of our services. But then it's bringing people into your team to make those decisions who are saying, let's, let's ask them about young people, let's ask about people who are neurodivergent, let's ask, let's ask those questions. Um, and bringing in the expertise. I'm not, I'm not an expert in neurodiversity. I've encountered it as a youth worker, because you do. But let's bring someone in who can really help and facilitate those conversations. And there's, I'm sure there's people in, in congregations who would be really up for being invited into a conversation about one area or another. So without wanting to make this sound like a, a, an advert for ordination in the church, <laughs> there will be people listening to this who are sort of saying, I, you know, I've, really, I've got the bug for church ministry and, and it is about centering young people. But as I get older or as time goes by, I'm wondering if it is church leadership. But there is this narrative that that would be selling out if I did that. Like what, what, what has been helpful thinking for you along the way as you've considered... Not that it's the, at the beating heart is still youth ministry, but actually maybe the, the landscape is shifting a bit. God's calling in something else. What would you say to people who are feeling that itch? For me, what, what was helpful was from the outset saying, I'm going to try and keep my finger on the pulse a little bit. I'm going to try and stay connected to my youth ministry colleagues, youth ministry friends. And as I go through that journey, I'm going to keep in my own head trying to think about the young people who I've met. And the only people that I know, and where would they, where do they fit into this story and calling? And just, just making that a really intentional, constant, almost exercise. Because actually, when you're when you're in particularly a large institutional denomination, there there is a pool somewhere, and there I kind of lots of people who wouldn't have the heart for youth ministry that I that I did, and it would be, it there would be a possibility of of being pulled further away from my my centre of calling on youth ministry as that journey happens, but I think I made a real effort to try and, and centre that in place. I forgot the second half of your question now that I've started talking I have about. forgotten the second half of my question, but I suppose it was just a little message to anyone listening, thinking, oh, I, I do feel that maybe I'm, I need to be thinking uh, differently about my calling, but I do feel nervous that <laughs> I'm selling out youth ministry. I think, like, you've got to trust God. At the, like, it's somewhat cliche, but actually, if, if the youth ministry of a church or a nation lands on me, then it's, then it's not going to work and it's not going to happen. We've got to trust that God is calling people to himself. And the thing that I've embraced more as I've got older is I don't have the answers. And when I, that, that first job that I got, that I've been praying for the money, I got in that job. My, my mindset was, I can already do this. I've seen young people come to faith. We've got young people getting, come, getting baptized, want to take communion. They're flooding into church. Um, so just stay out of my way and I will fix this. Stay out of the case, keep clear, let me make a decision, let me run this thing and it'll be great. And you can hear the arrogance there, but that, that I don't think is, you know, I'm a boss, you can tell me, but I don't think that that's my approach now. Um, and instead it's actually, let's embrace the grey, let's embrace the challenge, let's embrace the nuance, and let's trust that God wants to see people come to himself and he will work amidst the mess that I make of things and amidst the mess that other people make of things and amidst the mess that church leaders sometimes make of things that we get frustrated at to draw people to himself. Um, and I think that is, fundamentally, that's for me what it comes down to is, this is the Holy Spirit's work. Mm-hmm. And I get to be up close and personal sometimes and seeing him do some stuff, but that's, I gotta 
take myself out of that equation more and more actually um, and just say let's just watch let's just try about and, and watch what you do um, and there's a freedom in that and there's much less pressure in that and hopefully there's some longevity in that you know for me um, but as we said earlier I can't come down to one person I can't come down to the youth minister if I can inspire a bunch of other adults who just come to our church to care a little bit more about the 14 year old who sits at the back then that is a good piece of church ministry. That's a good piece of work done. Um, and the other thing that we know is that, you know, young people don't tithe. They don't have any money to tithe. And to run anything that churches are doing does, does come with a financial cost. And so there is also a, a need to, you know, to reach other people. And not just for the money reasons, like they're important to God too. God loves the elderly that we have been reaching in our congregation. God loves the single parents who are struggling on the estate of the God loves the two-parent families who have just moved into an area for a job. Like, he loves all of those people as well and is calling them to himself. And if we're trying to do family, and we're trying to do church as a family, then you need all the pieces of, of that puzzle in place as well. Um, I, like, I like to think of it generally and things as a bit like Christmas dinner um, and Christmas right, when you have all the family around. And they're, because of what it is, there is, a, there is a, a focus on usually the children of the teenagers who are the most excited and it's Christmas and it's magical and everyone is happy to run with them when they want to play their new game or will you help me to set this thing up? Nobody thinks of it as Christmas Day isn't a youth day. It's not a children's day. It's a family day, but where actually we understand that as part of being a family, let's, let's point sometimes some of our attention here. And sometimes these guys will go off and play because the grown-ups want to sleep in front of the TV and watch the Queen's speech. Or King's speech this year, as it will be. Um, but there's a there's a, there's that kind of dynamic of we're we're really family, and that that allows space for all of those people to exist, and we can all laugh at Uncle Nobby over in the corner. Yeah, um, really. I what a fantastic theological picture of church and youth ministry, and like, it is an absolute delight to work with you here. When you uh, got in touch and said, "Yes, I hear there's a curacy. I did youth work in Tower Hamlets, and you had me. I did youth work in Tower Hamlets. I was like, Jesus, we need him." But it has been incredible working alongside you and, and just absolutely seeing that you don't just do prioritise youth ministry in that you rock up to the youth stuff. You are absolutely about centering young people and you, you do that in so many ways and how we talk about so many things. So, it, yeah, absolutely. I want to echo everything that you've said. This is not just a podcast. You are absolutely living this and it's, and it's fantastic. Alan, thank you so much. And uh, one last thing. Why should people come to Blackburn? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look at our window now, the sun is shining on you. And as you drive over the, the huge hills yes. and you get a view across. Butterfly. A beautiful place to be, and people should should come and visit. And yeah, have a great time. <laughs> <laughs>
And I have to say, I've had experiences where I've heard that promise. And actually what's happened is when the person's got to be in the role of leadership, they've found that they're actually being asked to do so many other things that they can't keep that promise. They just, it fades away. And I think that if I'm honest, Alan's uh, challenged me a little mm. bit that it is possible. And there are others like mm. him who challenge me that that is possible. Um, I think there is a best version of it where you have those of those people who've been steeped in youth ministry and and have caught God's heart for young people and the unique time that adolescence is and why it requires special attention, then going off into um, uh, adult adult ministry is that the right phrase or whole church ministry? Um, there's so, there's something really exciting about what's possible there. Um, I think again, you know, it's an area where I have been. I'm doing a lot of repenting in this season, um, <laughs> the last couple of weeks. But the um, you know, it's, it's something where I've I've tended to be a bit cynical. And actually, maybe it is possible. Mm. So, are you feeling the call to ordination? Absolutely not. Okay. I do, as a man of a certain age, I've, I've probably had to fight that off for now 15 years. People ask you that. All the time. Oh, my goodness. It's interesting because I would have thought in our neck of the woods, you wouldn't get asked that. Because oh, yeah. actually, oh, really? Yeah, there's a few persistent people who are like, is it time? Is that it time? Is you down? Is it time? It's just, it's oh, just no. never going to be time. Oh, no. I promise you, And I even hear those people, you know, those people who are like, Oh, yeah, but I actually always said it would never be me. No, honestly, it's never me. <laughs> you 100%. Know, this doesn't sound convincing, though, does it's it? That's a problem. You, you just, can't make yeah, it sound convincing. You can't make it sound convincing. But I'm more likely to be president of America, which is impossible. Oh, please become president of America. I'd love to. Rachel. Yeah. I've not asked you this question. Oh, no, I'm not getting ordained. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Would you think you'll ever get ordained? No. But you're already a church leader, so you're halfway there. Well, I think the beauty about the kind of the slightly mashed up church planting model is I have all the kind of the fun of being able to say, yeah, I'm leading a church, that any of the kind of, you know, having to lead a church. Do you get asked, though? Do you get, because you're friendly with bishops, surely they're like, we could just do it now. Yes, right. No, I think. I am. I'm a little. I, I'm. You're probably more defined on why you're saying no. I'm probably less defined. Um, but I, I maybe it's because I feel that actually in the little networks that I'm part of, in the space that I am, I feel like I can pursue the call God has on my life, and I have the privilege of great leaders around me that fa- that facilitate that. So I think if I was in a different setting on my own, wasn't listened to, didn't wasn't given a responsibility, I may, you know, maybe that would be the right route. But I don't. No, I, I feel that I feel that where I am, I can do what I feel God's called me to do, and, and agitate a little bit. And mm. I think, particularly, you know, Launchpad, which is one of the projects that Youthscape run, um, it's about equipping church leaders in their spaces to develop a strategy and get something going and raising up team. And I've been a church warden. I've been a volunteer youth worker. I think, I think it's quite helpful in that setting that I'm not a vicar. Yeah. Um, but I understand something of the pressures that church leaders are under. So I feel like at the moment, I have a very privileged position, actually, of being a little bit in both worlds. Um, and I really like that. And what I like is increasing. And if you're seeing this, actually, I think there was a time where youth voices or people who spoke about youth ministry were only invited into spaces with other youth workers. I feel, do you feel that's changing a bit? Because I feel that that we're, we're crossing boundaries a bit more because I mm. feel that it's not just in terms of on in churches we need to hear from our youth workers, but the wider church needs to hear from 
parachurch youth organizations or senior youth leaders or there needs to be much more listening to each other and I feel at the moment I have a chance to do that a little bit which I'm really enjoying I think the wider church is waking up to the absolute crisis of yeah. Uh, of what's going on with their young people, you yes. know, in terms of the the, the decline of church yeah. engagement. So that. I think now they're suddenly thinking, oh my goodness, we do need to listen yes. because otherwise we're going to have no one left. Yeah. So the, the pull from a, of a, not all, but some, a good number of church leader perspectives is going to be, you know, where is the church of the future? Yeah. That's not where we would, that's not how we would look at the, the value of no. youth ministry, but certainly for them. So I think we are involved in more of those spaces. And I guess the challenge for us as the youth ministry community, particularly any of us listening part of Parachurch, is that the answer isn't that there are organisations that, that do just a kind of a one-size-fits-all resource. Resources are really important. And we at Youthscape, you know, play our part in developing programmes and materials. But it is about models. It's yeah. about root and branch rethinking about and the benefit of parachurch youth organizations and senior youth youth leaders people have been in this game for a long time is that you've developed thinking around building models like what is what is this bigger thing we're doing what does that look like and it's not something off the shelf it's some understanding of local strategy so i think that's why probably voices mm. are being listened to or sought out a bit more the marcos of this world you know um Kenda Creasy Dean are being listened to, you guys being listened to more by senior church leaders. And I think that's an exciting space, actually. It's a good time. Now, having said all that we said about, um, you know, it being perfectly fine if you feel like you're called to to adult, sorry, whole church, (laughs) whole church ministry. I struggle not to speak of it with disdain. (laughs) Um, If you you feel like that, I'm going to blow it all again. Having grown Mm. so much, I'm just going to blow it again. That's okay, we love you. Because, Because I honestly... Right now, it it feels more important than ever that those who are involved in youth ministry stay, which is a really tough thing to ask. But actually, like I would say, if you are if you are struggling to stay, and you think the only option for you is becoming a you know a minister, that's like the only the only way out that you can see. Like I I think, talk to us, talk to Youthscape, talk to me. Like Mm. I would I would genuinely give up time. To speak to people who wow. have hit a bit of a a bit of a lull and are thinking that that probably they've got to go and become a vicar now. Wow. Because I think we still need you. We desperately need you. You can email us, podcast at youthscape.co.uk, and it'll get forwarded to me. Oh, fantastic. What an offer. Well, I don't I don't know. I mean, by the sound of things, you'll just get patronized, but <laughs> I mean, at least. I'll create an account and send you an email. Yeah, yeah. Rachel can mop up. <laughs> So I think that's all we've got time for. I mean, there's always time for more of Martin's confessions, but I think that's all we've got time for today. What a great episode. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Youthscape podcast. I'm off for a cold shower. Hi, everyone. My name is Gemma, and my unsung hero is my dad. Not just because he is the one half of the best parenting team that I know, but because he taught me to try and remember that there is a story behind everyone. And that no matter what's been before, there is still positive potential to unfold in the next bit of the story for someone. He was a probation officer for much of his career. and I remember going out with him at weekends to visit sites where people were doing their community service. I saw my dad having positive human interaction with people that society was telling me were problems and statistics. His faith has always been more about who he was outside of a church service on a Sunday than what he said within it, even when he was pastor of our local church. 
My dad, Fernie Hext, is therefore my unsung hero, and he's a lot of what inspired me to become a youth worker, from witnessing the integrity of his faith in action in his personal and professional life. gay once drop that in <laughs> well we both had stories <laughs> and they didn't involve never well, yours did involve nudity of course it did of course it did Rachel it's the UK oh, podcast it's all the people demand involves. either nudity or dogs never together <laughs> well I think that is all we've got time for except to say we have some exciting resources <laughs> What a change of direction! Off, off the shelf. Reach out your hand, just touch your iPhone, just touch your screen, and let's just uh, send Martin all the. Oh no, no, that's that's not right. That's not going to work. <laughs> we love you, Martin. We think you're amazing. <laughs> Goodbye. One more go. One more go. What about Charles? Are we talk about Charles. <laughs> I do my hotel story. And on that note, friends. We love you. Check out the Youthscape store. There's always some great blogs happening and some interesting things. There are no blogs on the Youthscape store, Rachel. What no, are you talking about? On the website, on the online stuff, on the digital <laughs> thing, on the, online. On, the, on, the, on the wide web. The are wide we wrapping up already? We're right, he's giving me all the fingers. I thought we were doing 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should just cut my. Do you listen? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right, we're okay. having a conversation. <laughs> and goodbye. Sorry. There's loads of blogs on the Youthscape.